podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Serie Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. Welcome to another episode of the Serie A Chronicles podcast. And it was the penultimate round of games. So everyone was sitting there thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Because there were, of course, some big matches. But before we get into it, um, let me bring on Nikki Bandini, who's having a little problem with um, with your wonderful dog. She was. She keeps saying to me, you know, oh I don't know what's going on. I've never seen anything like this. And I'm super scared to leave him. And I, meanwhile, I'm just waiting, thinking, Wait, what am I supposed to do? Like, do we, do we wait and, and, and check whether she should take him to the vet? What's going on with Ross? It's been a bit chaotic, hasn't it? I'm sorry. We've already sort of had a slightly sort of mix-up schedule this week for other reasons. And then um, I... Um, was just getting sat down to to record and suddenly he was like gulping very furiously, like really gulping a lot and and desperate to go outside. I didn't know what was up. And sometimes he's just desperate to go outside so he can bark at the cat, but I realized the gulping wasn't normal. So I let him out <laughs> and he was eating grass really furiously, which he does sometimes when he wants to be sick. And anyway, I had to spend some time with him. He's, he's just been sick. I think he's all right. Obviously I'm keeping an eye on, on him and we'll keep an eye on him in case anything else develops. But I think he's probably just eaten something in the park that he shouldn't have because he does that sometimes. Oh, and there he is. Now he's barking. He's clearly feeling fine. Oh, that's good. Okay. I was thinking to myself the other day, I was in, you really do have to be very unselfish to have like dogs and kids. And I think that's kind of why I don't have anything because I don't know how to do that. <laughs> it does require a certain amount of, of disruption to your life to have a dog. And I don't have kids either, Mina. And I, you know, I do think to myself sometimes I, I literally don't understand how people manage to arrange their lives because it's hard enough for the dog. Um, producer Simon looking wistful <laughs> to see the camera. Yeah, right. of course, with all his kids. Right. Big matches yesterday. We were all thinking to ourselves, like, obviously, I think the harder match would be uh, Milan at home against Atalanta. I think the last time that Milan actually managed to defeat Atalanta at home in San Siro was in 2014, right? So we're talking about eight years ago. And it's it's tough when you imagine the fact that, I mean, there's obviously like a, a perfect poetry in this in the sense that when this project started they lost 5-0 to Atalanta Stefano Pioli had just come in and that's when they decided to bring in Simon Cahier and of course Latan Ibrahimovic to try to offer reference points and these more experienced players to this young group of players that they were trying to raise on a mental level not just on a technical and physical level and then it comes full circle they defeat Atalanta 2-0 in an extraordinary performance especially from said youngsters and in Raphael um, Leal and what was the most beautiful goal by Teo Hernandez. And uh, I don't know who to give the credit to in this match, to be honest with you, because it, it is one thing that I'm always on about constantly in all my podcasts when I do radio or anything like that is just the brilliance of Ancelotti a lot of a lot in the season and the reason why I think he's so brilliant is because how he tactically adjusts the team and you could tell that Atalanta were better in the first half but the second the substitution of Junior Macias and just just little little things that he moves positioning of just unleashed Teo Hernandez just that perfect assist for Rafael Vallejo he is so tactically perfect and shifting and changing and adjusting. And I just think, 
like if Stefano Pioli finally wins this trophy and he's been around the block for a while, you know, like how glorious would be because this is not, of course it's his coaching, of course it's his development, but also it's his technical know-how that is just, I feel like always doesn't get recognized as much as how he is capable of like creating this team harmony. Yeah, I think it's, you know, sometimes I, I look at how things have played out in a Serie A season. I think, you know, the old cliche, you couldn't script this, which of course you could. You could write something <laughs> more outrageous. But some of it really is a lot, isn't it? I think this run-in for, for Milan where they go up against Lazio, Simone Inzaghi's old team, and they beat them with that goal in injury time. Then they go up against Fatal Verona. They go up against the team that's always their boogie team at the end of the season, and they beat them. And then next is Atalanta, as you said. They got thumped by 5-0. They hadn't won a home to Atlanta in eight years. And he just said that, but I just, I really want to reinforce that. Like it's eight years since Milan had beaten Atlanta at home. So like another really sort of ominous fixture with this history to it that, 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 that should weigh on them and just scroll on past it and then do it with Teo Hernandez scoring this goal that is like, I mean, it's not identical, but it's about as close as you can get in real terms to being a carbon copy of the famous George Ware goal, like the George Ware coast goal, coast goal that everyone talks about. Do you really think so, by the way? Yeah, yes. look at that goal. Yes. No, but when you look at Ware's that, goal's George Ware's goal. I like, I like Ware's goal. Yeah, better. I mean, it's Ware's much better, better, right? And also he had like people trying to stop him, whereas I felt like most of the time Atlanta <laughs> didn't really do anything until the end. And we're like, okay, maybe we should stop this guy. Do you know what I mean? Whereas Ware had to overcome like three, you know? There was also a bit of good, good luck with that at the time. But And he was really fast. I mean, his pace is what made the difference. But you didn't feel with Teo it was his pace as much. It was like he just had a lot. Like Atlanta just allowed him to go. I think you're being a little unfair. I thought, um, <laughs> you know, that certainly Coop Miners tries to stop him and just isn't fast enough. Like Coop yes. Miners runs after him and can't. And then Jim City comes herring across full sort of road. Yes, the ends they do decide. Yes, the problem that's is true. that Darun's coming from the opposite direction. And that's the, the best bit of it from Hernandez, I think, is he sort of leads them into each other. He leads them sort of straight into each other. Like that's why I came up with Road Runner came into my head because it was like a cartoon, they're just running face into each other. <laughs> Palomino, I don't know what he's doing. He looks like he's genuinely just like in awe of what's happening in front of him. He's like, oh my God. Wow. I'm watching (laughs) history right now. Like, yeah, like it sort of felt like to me. Whereas, no, you're right. Where I had more to do, where I had to beat more more players on the way to doing it. But I mean, it's a corner of your own penalty box all the way up to the end of the pitch. Yeah. The shot across goal at the end as well is, is, is really similar. Like there's so much in parallel in it. And yeah, I just think it's such a sort of, it's just there's so many points in this sort of end of season running that you think of have been like picture perfect from Tonali at Lazio to, to this goal. And and yes, in the end, um, I think I absolutely agree with you that Pioli is the man who we should all be, be praising. And he was saying, you know, how touched he was at the end of the game because there were fans singing that song, Pioli's on fire. I know! Which, it, it's, a, the, it, it's an incredible video of the...
because Free From Desire is the original free song and they've just basically called it Purely On Fire. So it's free from desire, da da da. So it's like Purely's On Fire. <laughs> and he just loves it, he loves it. I, I love all of it because also like as a kid who went to Italy on hot summer holidays when I was younger, like those were the sort of, the sort of disco night tunes that they would play like we used to go in this like, yeah. summer camp in Italy and like disco night those are the sorts of tunes they would play and like sometimes say this with love but sometimes Italy does feel like it's stuck in a time warp like it hasn't moved forward <laughs> in certain things culturally and the fact that that song is still played in, in stadiums like you do think to yourself but there's something amazing about it and and I think purely like he's he's so obviously genuinely touched by it but this whole team Mina like I think that's one of the reasons why it's it's sort of it feels like such a feel-good story. I'm sure not to Juventus fans, not to Inter fans, not to their rivals, but you've got all these young players who are clearly loving the moment. You've got Pioli who really like, I think he feels like he's this big underdog. I think he really feels like I'm not supposed to be here, but now I am. And look at this, like we're doing it. And then you've got Zlatan who knows he is supposed to be there and winning things, but is so into this moment that he literally thumped the team bus window so hard. And if you've seen the video, he thumps the front window of the team bus when they're arriving so hard, you know, it cracks, which I can't imagine how hard you have to hit a bus window with your hand to crack it. <laughs> it is the great Zlatan. <laughs> it's Zlatan, exactly Zlatan things. It's like those old Chuck Norris memes. The moment that Milan are having is so extraordinary. But, you know, to bring it back to Pioli, the, the video that he showed his players was Cubby Bryant um, when the Lakers were tuning up in a playoff series saying, this series isn't done and it's not done. They still need one more point. You know what I find so remarkable as well about this is that, like, it's just one of those seasons in which there's been 16 different goal scorers in Serie A alone for Milan. And the fact is, is that Leao is their top scorer with 11 goals. When you think that Lautaro Martinez has scored 10 just from March. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, and 21 overall. But, I mean, we've got one guy who scored, you know, 11 over a season and you know, wow, what a great development for him. But also there really isn't a guy that you can point out and say, that's the reason Milan's there. Does that make sense? There isn't it, this it totally like, is. yeah, it's it's wonderful that it, you don't know who's going to come up tops in the game. You know, whether it's going to, Sandro Tonali is going to have the game of his life, whether Teo Hernandez is going to deliver the brilliance that he managed to deliver on this occasion, whether it's, it's Giroud understanding the moments of the game and using his experience to his benefit or, Raphael layout. It's just, you don't know where it's going to go from, come, where, where the goal's going to come from. And I think that's what's so lovely about it. And when you look at the goal scorers, I mean, there's Romagnoli in there, there's Daniele Maldini in there. So it really is like a remarkable achievement. But also, more than anything, is if you look at the sort of like the heat map and how the players were sort of stacked during the game, obviously, most teams fill the area in the middle, right? Sort of, you know, around their halfway line. And it's more horizontal density. But when you looked at Milan against Atalanta, it was almost two stacked vertical lines of four rather than horizontal lines. It was just two lines of four, like stacked. And and then Theo and Raphael just really outside it, like on their far, far left. And it's just, it's amazing because it's just their that ability to try to target all the gaps that Atalanta might leave in between. And that, that's what I think is so clever about them is the fact that they are so flexible on a tactical level, that there, there isn't a star or a go-to movement. It is just we constantly adapt to the opponent, neutralize their deficiencies and neutralize, sorry, neutralize their strengths and make sure that our strengths are also put on show at the same time. 
And I just think that's remarkable coaching. So more more than anything, mm-hmm. I want them to win this because it's a good project that deserves a trophy at the end of it. It's a good management. It's a good sporting director. Just seeing them all like congregate and, and scream and rejoice when that first goal went in, it's it's amazing what they've gone through and how they managed to go uh, to, to win. Yeah, I mean, yes, let's say the bit that will prod the Allegri haters. Like it's it's Allegri ball, right? Like it's Allegri ball is is keep it tight and then trust your your difference makers to make a difference. And I mean, I think it's more complicated than that. But there is something in that idea, right? Because look, the first the first strength of this Milan team, in my opinion, is the one that you can see from the fact they've had 17 clean sheets this season and they've had 11 just since the start of 2022. So they've got better in that regard. They don't concede mm. goals. They really don't concede goals very often. This whole game, the only chance I really remember from Atlanta, well, Muriel had like a, a shot that stung the palms of Manyan, but it was nothing that you expect a keeper to, to let pass them. And then Duvan Zapata had one header from a corner and that was it. Um, this is a team who are the fourth highest scorers in Serie A this season. Um, so that's the first ring of this team, which is Tamori, Kalulu, Calabria and to some extent Teo Hernandez and then Mañan in goal when they're all there is is a really solid platform. Pioli was a defender himself. Yeah, imagine not needing Cayer as well. Right. Imagine yeah. that absence being one you don't even remember. Kalulu's really come on like a really big way very quickly and that's been really impressive as well. I think when we talk about Tamori a lot, but I think Kalulu's got good. Although having said that, he absolutely does commit a foul in the goal. It's their first goal against Atlanta and that goal should have not stood, just to be clear and fair about that. I thought it was a hundred percent of out. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Do you don't think it should have stood the first well, goal? No, I think it should be a free kick to Atlanta on the edge of the Milan box. He, he makes a challenge from behind and 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 gets away with it on Pasina. I agree. Whether or not VAR should intervene is a different question because then you get into like the technicalities of like how VAR is supposed to operate. But it's a foul. But I think yeah, you, you sort of start with that premise of like we're just not going to concede goals very often, and then. As you mentioned, there is no one player who scores the goals, but but there's just enough players who can do that for you that you're going to win more often than not. Like you've got Rafael Leal, who you just mentioned about the vertical lines, Mina. Like the in the end, I felt like what Atlanta did in this game very well, especially at the beginning, was pack the midfield, make it hard for Milan to go through it. So in the end, Milan just bypassed it, right? Just send the ball over the top for Leal to go onto, and it, and it worked. And then once that had happened, things opened up, and then and then Teo can do his his wonder goal. But yeah, you know, sometimes it's Leal, sometimes it's Giroud, sometimes it's earlier in the season it was Ibrahimovic, and sometimes it's your left back, Teo Hernandez. But there's enough players in this team that can do that for you, that that it's worked. And yeah, one more game to go, but last day of the season, Milan control their own destiny, and they only need a draw. They don't even need to win against Sassuolo. So anything but a loss on the last day will do it for them. Except that Sassuolo has managed to defeat all top three teams so far this season. So yeah, by all means, not in. Not an easy fixture to navigate. What makes it so interesting is, of course, of Giorgio Squinzi, who is a former yes. owner of, of, um, of, yeah, if Sassuolo was alive, he, he would have cheered on Milan. <laughs> he would have said to them, throw this game. <laughs> you know, I know I, we were integrity and all of that, but I mean, he was such a staunch Milan fan that, you know, for him to know that he's, it would be his team that would be able to decide the fate uh, would be very interesting. This is this is a man. Just to say on screen, you mean this is a man. So for people who don't know about him, this is a man who, while owner of Sassuolo, used to have a phone with a Milan <laughs> cover on it. Like he had a Milan yes. cover on his phone, even as he's the president and owner of Sassuolo. That's that's the level we're talking about. 
and happily in interviews would say, if it's between those two, I want Milan to win. <laughs> I, just love, I love that around. That's exactly who I would be, you know? I mean, between him and Maurizio Zamparini, I just feel like you've got me solid, you know? Like, I'm, I'm like the love child between the two. So, anyway. Uh, but what's interesting is also, of course, like, in term, uh, the CEO of Sassuolo is Giovanni Carnevali and he's Beppe Marotta's best friend. So don't worry, I don't think they're going to throw the game. Um, <laughs> but, uh, of course, regardless of how good Milan are, then there's Inter, right? And they're just mm-hmm. not at all giving up this fight. They keep going. People wondered whether or not. I thought this was a little bit random, to be honest with you, because in my head I was like, of course they're going to win against Cagliari. And I was like, well, you never know. Barella, and, and he has an emotional connection because is he really going to want to be part of the team that condemns Cagliari to, to defeat and possibly relegation? Um, this is touchy because you know they're going to go for it. They're fighting. But it's into it. Like it's, it's, I mean, for me, it's still the best squad in the league. It's still the best team in the league. They've, there's been moments in which they've forgotten that and all got too emotional, but they are like a hugely great team. So I know they paid 120 minutes in the Coppa Italia, but they still won that. So that sort of almost like gives you the, the push required. So I found it surprising that anyone would even doubt them in this match. And uh, thankfully, they, uh, well, I don't know, thankfully, depending on who you side with, but uh, 12 shots only in the first half. And yet, remarkably, it was still 1-0. There are moments where you just think they create so much into, but don't do sometimes enough to, to get the most out of it. Hey, still finished with three goals, though. Not bad. Yeah, it was a strange game because they were perhaps in some ways reflected what's been a little bit their Achilles heel this season. They were totally in control of the game. Obviously, a much better team than Coyote. Didn't seem to suffer any of the sort of being away from home and and playing as a team that's fighting against relegation. And then at 2-0, they just sort of let Calgary back into it for no reason at all. I mean, it was a lovely goal from Nikojanis, but I'm sure I've just murdered that name, um, Nikojanis or Nikojanis, I don't know. But um, either way, it was just a, a strange sort of situation to let them back in. But no, I, I think it, it speaks really well to Inter and to Inzaghi, because you think about a few seasons ago when Napoli did play against Juventus and that whole story of, oh, they saw Juventus play ahead of them and, and beat Inter when they were hoping Juventus would drop points and the psychological impact that had on the Napoli players. And they they went into that Fiorentina game with all the wrong mindset and they got hammered. You know, Inter had to watch Milan win ahead of them. They had to see this wonderful Teo Hernandez goal. They see San Siro, which is their own stadium full of Milan fans cheering as if they've won the title already. And they went out and they did a job still. And I think that Inzaghi said after the game, Look, you know, I as a player, I won a title on the last day when I was behind, which was when he was at Lazio and, and they leapfrogged Juventus on the last day in, in 2000. So he's like, I'm not giving this up. Like, we're going to take you all the way to the end of it and see if they, uh, and see if they, if they do stuff it up. And so I think it's to his credit as a manager and it's to the credit of that team that they've still got their focus. I think, I think in the end, this is Inter's title that they've blown. I think that that Bologna game is, is unavoidably the thing that's going to weigh on everyone afterwards. But, you can only deal with what's ahead of you. You can't deal with what's behind you. And they are finishing the season in the right way. And good for us to watch. <laughs> yeah, definitely for us. Because, I mean, and you keep everyone on tender hooks. I mean, apparently the Milan players have stayed behind to try to watch the first half and, and see if it was something, you know, in which they thought maybe Cagliari can do something. But obviously Inter was so strong, managed already a goal. But it's an interesting one because there's a lot about this that, 
that I find fascinating as somebody who had Antonio Conte as their coach, there was this moment and the, when you talk to the players in which there was a little bit of negativity about the confidence issue. You see, what Conte does so well is build you into being this warrior. And so what happens is that you, you obviously feel like if you work really hard and you do everything you're supposed to do, then you will win. That's what he sort of guarantees you, right? But what it does sometimes is tell you that if you don't work that hard, then you don't have enough to win. And that can trigger another form of inconsistent, inconsistency, and, in, inconsistency and insecurity. I say this because this happened a lot for the Champions League, for example, when he was like, oh, it's between us and Galatasaray for second place, or you have to run harder than Nordischland. And, and there was a lot of these issues being discussed back then within the camp, as in the players felt that if they weren't in the optimum fitness condition, it would be a problem. What I find so interesting about Inter this season is that they do make things difficult for themselves. And they have been in situations where you feel like you have enough, just keep going. But it's almost like that is that emotional business where they, they start getting a little bit scared. And you saw that, for example, like you said, when the goal was scored and all of a sudden they were like, couldn't play out from the back, you know, like mm -hmm. started to like tremble a little bit. And you think that, this is something that Inzaghi, I think, tackled that really well, immediately made substitutions four minutes later, immediately brought in, you know, Gagliardini. And who else did he bring on at the time? It was Dumfries who came in with Gagliardini. Dumfries as well. Dumfries. Yeah. yeah. So it's a case of like, let's just keep effort high. Let's keep strength up. Come on, guys. I mean, we're good enough for this. Like, don't be scared, you know? And so he's trying to target this, but sometimes it is a case of, with Inter, they don't need to run harder than any other team. They are the best team in Serie A. They, they can attack you through the wings or through the middle by any way, shape or form in set pieces or not. They have a top goal scorer right now, Lautaro Martinez, who's fantastic to watch. They have a veteran in Perisic that I think we haven't seen this version of like, I mean, it's almost like the guy ages better than, than he was when he was a kid. He, he's just much better now. It's, he's a bit of a Barzali, but in an attacking position, you know? It is extraordinary to watch. And so I I think there has to be something there on a mental level where they can get back to being the side that actually really do believe in themselves and believe that they only need three minutes to get as many goals as they need to get. And and he said the game that he would like Simone Inzaghi to replay is the first leg against Liverpool. And I totally understand that. But in my head, I'm like, I wish you could also play the second leg because even though you scored a goal, I still think even when you want to man down, you could have gone in a second. You know, I, I, I believe that much in their ability to do that. But I do think this, this game was made very easy for them in the sense that Agostini decided to play like basically a narrow attack. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what you do when Perisic is on the field. But sure, buddy, <laughs> have, have fun, you know, and, and at least he tried to correct it afterwards. But I think in Zaghi, you can see also his development over the season on a tactical level, how he's starting to influence the side on a psychological level, knowing when to make the substitutions at the right time. So I, I find that also interesting because it's nice to see a team sort of grow into their own. Yeah, I, I think it was really interesting, that question you just talked about, Mina, where um, it wasn't just him who got asked. They were obviously asking, the, the, the reporters were asking everyone which game they'd like to have back. And, and for Lautaro Martinez, it was the Bologna game. He said it like right away, like no question, no doubt. Mm -hmm. so we, we, he said it, you know, as if he's resigned to next week already. He said, we, we threw away the title that day. Inzaghi didn't want the Bologna game back. He wanted the Liverpool game back. And I think that's really mm -hmm. interesting when you sort of think about their season and like how everyone's going to frame their season and, and think about it. You know, I'd be curious, Mina, because I think we've sort of talked about this before the cup final and, and obviously there's been the cup final since we last recorded. And they won that cup final. 
And I was wondering how you would grade out in psyche. Because I think, you know, seasons are long and we forget things, right? There have been times this season, especially early in the season, where we were kind of picking at him for substitutions. There were games in which, you know, you're saying he got substitutions right here. There's been times when I think even Inter's fans have been a bit sort of frustrated with his substitutions. But I think for me, you know, if it's second place in the league and it's the knockouts of the Champions League and it's winning the Coppa Italia, he's a, he's a solid B. Like he's, he's definitely no lower than a B. He might even be a B plus even with second place, given that you think at the start of the season, Lukaku's gone, Hakimi's gone. Like it's, it's not a, it's not a disappointment in the grand scheme. Obviously it's a disappointment in the moment not to win the title, but I, I feel like overall it's a more positive season than negative season. The problem for me, for me in the bigger picture is that all the reports and everything we're hearing out of Inter is they're going to have to sell again. And I don't know if they can even sustain where they are right now. But I don't think that this first season is negative just because they don't win Serie A. If they don't win Serie A, we're going to sell this before they win it next week. Yeah, well, there's still an opportunity. Even if anyone even thinks of criticising Izagi, then they're crazy. Because really, honestly, this is a guy who kept them in competitions until the end and won trophies. I mean, with Conte, I'm, I'm sorry, but he had Lukaku, he had Hakimi, he had... Ericsson and he was knocked out from pretty much he didn't reach the final of the Coppa Italia he was knocked out early in the group stage of the Champions League he had Antonio Pintas as a fitness coach and they and this guy hasn't and they played a lot of games and if you could just take away February from him then he's had a remarkable season right it's just Mm -hmm. unfortunately February happened and it was too many matches and they couldn't keep up on a mental and physical condition uh, level at least and I don't think the players in Korea, Sanchez, they're not exactly for me the kind of guys that I would introduce off the bench to try to score the goals that I really need to score. But it's, he's the only team that's defeated Liverpool in Anfield in 2022. He had more points than Conte by December, better defending as well. And this is despite the fact that they're a much more attacking team than anything that we saw under Antonio Conte. There are so many different tactical schemes and the way that they they sort of change is is remarkable to watch. What's interesting about Izagi, it is like you said, it is his development, it is his substitutions. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but they have been somewhat ridiculous at times, you know, especially against Real Madrid. Like I don't know what he was thinking with half of them, you know. Um it's almost like he takes it's like he tries to create a challenge in the second half for himself or he believes in the win too early on. I don't know. But I do also think he's gotten better at, at managing the game in general. And of course he is somebody who really believes himself when he reached the final. Like he's reached what 10 finals and what and and won now eight. It's remarkable to consider the fact that he always bets on himself now when it comes to finals. He's so not to be shaken on a psychological level. And that's what I I find very interesting. So and and here's the thing that I think is important to note. Conte didn't have the competition that Inzaghi's had this season. He's had a stronger Milan and he's had a, a stronger Napoli. So for many, for many weeks, we couldn't figure out who was going to be it. Was it going to be Napoli? Was it going to be Milan? Was it going to be Inter? It was constantly back and forth, but you could see Inter being the better team, but the competition was so strong. Whereas I don't feel Mm. like it was last season. So, I mean, Atalanta was strong by all means, but not really competition for Inter and Milan were not where they are today. So I think Inzaghi, honestly, I think he's done an even better job, even if he hasn't won the Scudetto, but that has more to do with Milan being brilliant than I think sometimes Inter. Although February, he should be, I guess, maybe a little bit told off for that. Guys, we want to thank you for always being supportive of the Serie A Chronicles podcast. It's thanks to you that we keep going and that uh, we're able to pay our bills. Um, and we do want to do 
a quick shout out to new Chronicles to Fursy patrons. Thank you so much for coming on board to listen to our various monologues and and <laughs> I'll just say something. I recorded a 30 minute like mini episode. <laughs> I think it was longer than the actual pod that I actually embarrassed. I was so embarrassed that I deleted it. Um, but yes, <laughs> thank you for coming on board to listen to all our extra content and, uh, and for supporting the podcast. Just a few names to read out today. It's Gilbert Lorke. Thank you so much. Adan Abdullah. Thank you so much. And Oliver Whitten. Thank you guys for joining on board and we hope you enjoy it. And thank you as well to Andrew H for a generous donation via Kofi. If you would like to help support the show, you can join at cityachronicles.com forward slash Patreon or click the Chronicles to Fozy button on our website. You can also help keep us going by giving us a one-off one-time tip on Kofi, just click the button on the website at seriachronicles.com. One more thing you can do to support at the moment is to follow our Amazon link for our sponsorship that we have with Amazon. And to do that, just go to getamazonmusic.com forward slash Chronicles. We'll have all of these links in the show notes as well. As you all know, uh, Roma played out a fantastic match against Venezia, which we will try to talk about later, while Juventus will take on Lazio tonight. But another very interesting game that did happen was uh, obviously Napoli hosting Genoa. There was so much interest in this game because Genoa were playing for their lives, while this was the last home game for Lorenzo Insigne, a child of Napoli, their captain and a player who has been remarkably important for the team for the squad for the city. He has been a divisive figure, both in Naples and, of course, on this podcast. <laughs> and um, he is a remarkable player. I don't think anyone can deny the actual technique of the of the player and how much he has given to the club that he is so madly obsessed and madly in love with. I guess in many ways, because Napoli have always come so close but never gone over the line, he's received a lot of criticism for that, for not perhaps being the leader that they wanted or needed at the club to ensure the points and to ensure the right mentality at the right moments throughout the season. And I think that's been his greatest criticism that's been aimed at him. Um, he's also been a player who sometimes is engaged in sort of frivolous and petulant behavior on the sidelines, whether it's against a particular coach or being taken off or whatever it is. But others have also realized that the pressure has been enormous on him. A lot perhaps was asked of him and perhaps too much at times when it wasn't fair because there were obviously other people and other, other factors to consider, including the president, including the coaching. So we don't know. We don't know where he stands, I guess. But what it is, is that there was a remarkable banner that was hung from the... Um, the Curva. Curva. Curva B. <laughs> and... Um, and that said that they love him, they understand him. I don't actually have the the message to date. It is on my Twitter camp. It was on my Twitter, but it was one in which everyone did come together and unite in reminding Lorenzo Insigne that he is a proud child of the city, and they are very thankful to him for his flair and integrity in the game. And everyone came on the pitch, holding you know Aurelio Di Laurentiis was holding his hand. We know there's been ups and downs in that relationship, but I think that one thing we can all agree on is Lorenzo Insigne will be missed. Yeah, the one person who didn't get a warm reception, De Laurentiis, so I think was booed. Mm. Um, it was 
you know, it it was a sad, it was a sad thing, and 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 it always is sad to see someone who's been so closely associated to one club um, make that move on. I have loved watching Lorenzo Insigne at Apoli. I think at times he's been a wonderful, mesmerizing player. I think his combinations under Sari, particularly with 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 Callejon, that sort of iconic ball to the back post for Callejon to to score at the, at the back post, and then of course the tiragir, the the the, yeah. the, the the curling shot. He has his trademarks. He's he's left a mark that won't be forgotten in, in Serie A. And you know, I think he was very sort of open and emotional about how he was feeling, and and I think the way he sort of talked about it as being like a family feels feels true to it. And I think it probably is true to the experience of being a boy from Naples who goes and plays for the the one big club in Naples. And and I mean, there are other clubs, but you know, this is Napoli. It's Naples. It's literally the one. And um, and that sort of coming with its, you know, as he's described it, you know, with its ups and downs and with its arguments, but in the end, this sort of underpinning of of affection and and connection. And and I think that you could see how much it's it's gonna sort of take for him to adjust to life without it. But that was his decision. Um, and and maybe it's the right one for everyone involved to 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 move on. The the sort of the farewell was was exactly as grandiose as you would imagine it to be at a, at a, at a club run by De Laurentiis. He was given not only a replica shirt, not only a sort of interactive like video display with like best moments from, from time at Napoli, but also a trophy that, as lots of people noticed on socials, was literally as big as him. <laughs> and um, I suppose if you wanted to be cynical about it, he was also given a chance to retake a penalty to make sure he got a goal as well. Yeah, that was an interesting one because, of course, this this match mattered. I mean, I know it looked like sort of a celebration of Lorenzo Insigne, but on the other hand, the opponent is fighting to save their lives in Genoa, of course, another historical club, the oldest club in Serie A, in fact. And they needed anything, anything out of this game to to try to, I mean, they needed a win, really. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was interesting that the penalty was retaken. But, of course, Genoa, after, what, 15 years? How long has it been? They are now um, mathematically relegated alongside Venezia. And this has been a really tough season. I think Cushito is still thinking about the penalty against Sampdoria. They were never going to be good enough in this match. You know, actually, when we're going back to Inter, when they said that, like, Lautaro Martinez said that Bologna is the match that he'd replay. I'm interested to see that no one mentioned Genoa, because that's the one I would have redone if I was wanting the trophy. Because I think that's where they ended up dropping points um, in the nil-nil. Or even the derby when they outplayed Milan. They outplayed Milan the derby and then let Giroud hit them twice. You know, that that switched that game around and, and the title yeah. race is done. So there's there's plenty of moments that Inter could could have turned this um, the other way. But that's the story of a title race, isn't it? They, they go twists and turns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you think will happen with Genoa now? Do you think that they will be back up next season? Do you think this was inevitable? It's funny, isn't it, that it happens in the year when Preziosi finally goes. Like for so long, the fans have, have been sort of against Preziosi there, have wanted him to get out of the way and let the club be run in, in what they would consider like a more professional and and um, and sort of serious way, I suppose, than his sort of constant, like, I'm going to fire a manager every five minutes approach. And since he's gone, the new ownership have come in and they've changed managers and they've got relegated. So, you know, I can yeah. see a certain amount of sort of poetic... Um, absurdity in the way it's all played out but um certainly you would expect um given the investment that was made, that's been made already to buy the club it would be pretty shocking if there's not serious sort of um planning being made right away for the club to try and come back up at the first attempt 
And structurally, Genoa are, are big enough, rich enough that Serie B should be navigable for them. But, you know, that's not how football works either. You've got to get, you've got to get it right. You've got to make the right decisions. And it's going to be difficult because what's left behind is a whole sort of empire built by Preziosi and a whole way of doing things. And that involved owning a lot of players and moving them out on loans and, and doing things in a particular way. And you've either got to sort of go with that and make it work for yourself or you've got to unpick the whole thing. And that's, that's a big job as well. So who knows? If you ask me for my, my best hunch, I think Genoa will probably bounce back. But, um, but there is a lot of work to be done. And of course, the big decision about whether or not it's Alexander Blessing who stays on to do it. Yeah, I think that's going to be the most interesting thing is is who who's going to, I mean, if he's going to stay on and, and if they're going to go and, and try to satisfy whatever it is he needs or how much money will be spent. But a lot of money was spent on Genoa. Another team that was mathematically relegated was indeed Venezia, who have been somewhat of a fairy tale, really. Uh, they are a side that had tried to take a different approach to marketing and succeeded on that level. Their jersey became one of the most famous jerseys in football where everyone was dying for and they were selling out constantly. It's a, a team that is made up of so many different internationals, and but it is still managed to retain that family feel about it. We've had Gianluca Buzio on the pod to discuss everything with us and, and how he feels when it comes to being part of this historic club that obviously has such a stu- beautiful stadium, Estadio Penzo. But they played a, a remarkable game against Roma, <laughs> in which Roma had 46 shots. So um, still only ended in 1-1. Uh, but it was Venezia that opened the scoring, and they've had problems this season. Obviously, we've seen Paolo Zanetti's hacked, and that, that has to do with just a way of trying to reinvigorate the squad. But they have somewhat improved, and uh, we obviously can see that with the one wall with Roma. But you imagine Roma do have their thoughts on the Conference League. Yeah, well, the best um, solution to anything that's happening in this last little bit of the Serie A season where Roma have slipped away and they haven't got, unless Lazio slip up, we're recording on, on Sunday and, and Lazio playing its um, events tonight. So Lazio could have even sewn up fifth place by the end of the, by the time you're listening to this. But the best way... Are you just imagining to, they're going to defeat Juventus? I'm, I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying it's possible. Like, I don't want to sort of record this and then we look silly afterwards. Well, I'm sure I've managed to do that anyway, this episode with my sick dog and all the other nonsense. Oh no. But look, the, the best the best ending to this season for Dortmund involves winning the Conference League. We've talked about how they've sort of bought all into that. And um, I think it's pretty clear that that's where all energies are at the moment. And having said that, look, <laughs> when you take 46 shots, your opponents for normally, normally you win, right? Like you just do. So sometimes games are just... Especially when the opponent is down to 10 men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes games are just weird. They are. Sometimes <laughs> they're just weird. But we do wish you luck, Roma, because I mean, how glorious would be if you are to win the inaugural Conference League uh, trophy and then you can bring home a European trophy back to Italy. Our producer Simon wants me to mention four crossbars, four crossbars in this game. I think that's very important to, to clarify how unlucky Roma were. I think that's about all we've got time for today. Um, sorry, it's been a slightly chaotic one, Mina and Simon with my dog. One thing we haven't really got to, a uh, relegation fight also still um, very much going down to the wire. Salernitana drew with Empoli on Saturday. 
and Cagliari, despite losing to Inter, are still alive. So going into the final weekend, Genoa, as mentioned, relegated. But Cagliari are two points behind Salernitana. They also hold the tiebreaker over Salernitana. So if they can win away to Venezia and Salernitana do not win at home to Udinese, then Cagliari can still get themselves out of the drop zone. Tell us who you want to get relegated. I know I want Salernitana to survive just because it's such a nice story. Oh, it's hard not to root for Davide Nicola. I know, it is. It's also hard not to think, you know, Sardinia is a nice place to go on a work trip. Sardinia is stunning. Yeah, I'm not picking sides. They're both, both, um, you know, whoever manages at the end will deserve it. That is all we've got time for, as I said. Please do, if you are so inclined, get yourself on over to that Amazon link. Get amazonmusic.com forward slash Celia Chronicles. Helps us out a bunch. Free trial doesn't cost you a thing and you can cancel it whenever you like. Music for free for a month. Do it. Right. Join our Patreon Chronicles Tifosi to get loads of bonus episodes, support the podcast and help us keep producing it. Uh, you can leave us a one-time tip via Kofi. Links to both of those on our website at cityachronicles.com. Find us on Twitter at Mina Rizuki, at Nikki Bandini. And follow Syria Chronicles on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. That's all from us for now. We'll see you next week. Oh, it's not live. We'll see you with some Patreon minisodes in the meantime. But we'll see the, everyone next week. All right, guys. Bye. Ciao. Se la da lunga su Leao, Leao, Leao contro Kuminers, Leao, Leao, Leao. Gol! Ha segnato Leao! Ha segnato Leao! Urla San Siro! Vibra San Siro! Leao! Ancora Rafa! Leao! Sentite come urla San Siro! Tanta roba rade. Ecco Ternales che viene in mezzo al campo. C'è libero Messias. C'è libero Messias. C'è libero Messias, Teo, Teo va da solo, Teo va da solo, Teo va da solo, Teo va da solo, Teo. Gol! Ancora Teo! È una meraviglia! Il gol di Teo Hernandez da un'area all'altra! È una meraviglia! Senti il mio cuore! È il cuore del Milan! Noi battiamo forte! Teo Hernandez! Teo Hernandez! Teo Hernandez! I milanisti belli come il sole! 2 a 0 per noi! Siete belli, siete meravigliosi, avete indosso i colori più belli del mondo. Guardo i milanisti, sono pieno di gioia. Il Milan, sono pieno di voi ragazzi, sono pieno di voi. È finita! 2 a 0 per noi, 2 a 0 per noi, 2 a 0 per noi, 2 a 0 per noi. Sports Social Podcast Network.